Welcome to Add Passion and Stir, Big Chefs, Big Ideas. This is the Share Our Strength podcast about people who are changing the world. I'm your host, Billy Shore. It's amazing when you realize how central food is to so many things that we care about. It affects our health. We see kids with nutritionally related problems, many of them overweight, even though they're undernourished. It affects our ability to learn. She had to make sure she had lunch in the classroom because at the end of the day, that was going to be all she got. Food security affects our strength as a nation. Children going to school hungry in this country is flabbergasting. We're in Boston today with two Bostonians that just about everybody knows. Ming Tsai, restaurateur, uh, chef and owner of Blue Ginger and Blue Dragon. And of course, many people know him from his TV show on PBS, Simply Ming, which he tells me is now entering its 15th season. Congratulations, Ming. That's incredible. And and Dr. Debbie Frank, who's worked with Share Our Strength for a very long time. Debbie is at the, Dr. Frank is at the uh, Grow Clinic at the Boston Medical Center, which I think, Debbie, you started in 1984. That's right. Um, and does amazing work with young kids who present with failure to thrive. So thank you for being here. And the other Debbie, my sister Debbie Shore from Share Our Strength in Boston today, uh, who's been part of this work from the very beginning. Welcome, Deb. Thanks. Good to be here. Thanks. Well, thank both of you for being here. You know, as I was, one of the things that I always spend some time thinking about is we have guests from pretty diverse backgrounds and what kind of things do they have in common or what kind of common threads here. And there's actually one that really jumps out at me with the two of you. Um, and that is the degree to which food can really play an almost life or death role um, for people in different ways. Uh, Ming, I know that you are not only a restaurateur, but you're involved in so many important community causes, big brothers and big sisters, chefs for humanity, uh, a food allergy organization called FAIR, um, and I think one called Family Reach. Your website's got a great list of them. And one of the things I'd like to start with is just talking about uh, how is it that as a restaurateur and as a pretty busy business person, uh, you can spend as much time as you do and have as much commitment as you do to making change in the community? Um, first of all, thanks for having me. It's great to always see you, Billy and Deb. It's been a long time. You know, I, I always think a great judge of success is not um, dollars and not toys and not cars and not that. I think the, uh, the best gauge of success is how you can leave your mark, how you can give back. And I think Warren Buffett had one of the best quotes ever, which is he hopes his last check bounces because he wants to make sure he gives it all away, right? I think it's a great quote, right? And um, so for me, uh, fortunately, as you guys all know, if you surround yourself with a great team, uh, and I have a fantastic team, both at Blue Ginger and Blue Dragon, uh, if you can train them well and get them to the level you need your, your concepts to be, that affords you the time to then be able to branch out and, and try to make a difference. Uh, the, the love of food is universal. Everyone in the world knows what food is, and unfortunately not everyone has enough of it. And w- without food, we're, we're, we're done, literally, as a human race, but we're also done for every social, economic, and every other type of, of relationship. And for us chefs, we can use food to gather people to teach people, to bring people, to save people's lives. As I know, Doc, this saves lots of lives through food. And, and by the way, as you touched on, you can also kill someone with the wrong food, which is the whole food allergy issue that I, that I jumped on a long time ago. And uh, I think it's just so important that, that everyone understands that food is actually the glue of, of the whole society that we live in. 
So Dr. Frank, you got into this uh, quite a long time ago because you found that kids here in Boston were literally failing to thrive. They were failing to grow the way they should because of uh, hunger and nutritional issues related to poverty, uh, ultimately, I, I think. But tell us about what led to the to the GROW Clinic and what are you seeing today in terms of kids in this community and what their needs are? Well, I was trained as a developmental pediatrician by Dr. T. Barry Brazelton, and I was not a bit interested in nutrition. In medical school, if I thought I had to listen to another talk about you know cholesterol or something, I was going to lie down on the floor of the amphitheater and have a seizure. It was, you know, um, so I wasn't interested in this at all. And then uh, I got recruited by a wonderful woman named Dr. Jennifer Rathbun to work in uh, the first, basically, Failure to Thrive multidisciplinary clinic anywhere. And uh, she was a child psychiatrist. And it was only as I started to work with these kids that I realized that people thought this was a psychiatric condition. But most of the time, it was a, a, an interaction of social, developmental, and particularly medical and nutritional risks that, in, that can occur in any social class, but are much, much, much more common among uh, the economically deprived. And uh, as I started to read and uh, look into it, I realized that what we call failure to thrive, the rest of the world calls malnutrition, and that it was an established uh, cause, preventable cause, and treatable cause of children having trouble learning and having trouble behaving and having trouble succeeding in school. So I got passionate about this because there are lots of developmental problems that are hard to prevent, but this one isn't. And it turns out that the threshold for affecting children's ability to learn and interact is not eyeball malnutrition. You look at this kid and you say, well, he's so weak he can't lift his head. It's what's called food insecurity, which you can identify with a questionnaire. And so even very mild uh, uh, lack of access to adequate nutrition can have immediate and lifetime effects on a child. That, that are remedial? Uh, you can remediate those effects or not? When you say lifetime effects, do you mean lifetime if they go untreated or? If they go untreated, okay. yes. But they can't, but but that's a problem that can be solved, you're saying? Well, there's certainly some work that says yeah. if you start out food insecure and you become food insecure, your you know third grade scores go up. So, And conversely, if you start out food secure and become insecure, uh, you don't do as well in school. So it's definitely something you want to identify early and treat early, like most of what we deal with in pediatrics. D yeah, Dr. Frank, I'm remembering way back when we met um, and we started to learn about failure to thrive and what it took to to turn a, turn a child around. And can you remind us to sort of um, the, the length of the treatment? Um, I, I would imagine it depends on the severity of the failure to thrive. But in general, when you do identify a child who's failing and not growing, what What's the length of the treatment and, and the, the, the general you know, it, path? It, it's usually a, a year to a year and a half. And again, some kids, it's much longer. Some kids, it's very quick. You say, you know, let's help you afford the, you know, the elemental formula. And at least the child begins to grow and learn and so forth and fight infection. It's very hard for malnourished kids to ward off infection. So they get into an infection malnutrition cycle which is what uh, in other countries kills kids. It's, you know, the diarrhea, the measles, the pneumonia. And here, if you have diarrhea or measles or pneumonia, we can pour lots of medical care into you and keep you 
usually from dying, but it'd be nice if you didn't have to get sick in the first place. But it, it sounds like you must have to spend some of your time not just treating the children, but also educating the parents in terms of what is nutritious, what's healthy, that type of thing. Yes, and then we can we're, we can do, we do a lot of if you could will retail education. You do wholesale, which is great, uh, and one on one with a lot of work. You people will learn are interested. They want to learn. Our, we actually have a, in our hospital um, a, a preventive food pantry, which only stocks uh, you know foods that are re- healthy, uh, and we have a, a kitchen, a teaching kitchen. Um, because, but the problem is that we can do as much retail teaching as we like, and you go out on the street and there's this, you know, huge billboard for chocolate-covered, crunchy marshmallow cereal with for your child that has eight vitamins and minerals, you know? Um, and so it's, it can be very frustrating. And one of the reasons we have the, the preventive pantry is, well, there's two. One is it's absolutely useless to spend an hour teaching somebody something and then hand them something that is absolutely contrary to your teaching. That's the problem like in the in the shelters. Um, so that that's one thing. The other thing is we've known world around, you have to feed the whole family. Because just as you were saying, if you cut somebody's food feed resources, like uh, in Massachusetts, we have what's called a family cap, which means if you're on... Uh, welfare and have another baby. You don't get anything for that. You don't get benefits for that baby. And but you're not going to say, okay, you're the baby who doesn't get a benefit. I'm not going to feed you. I'll just feed this one. So you're going to you, split them. You take yeah. what you have, and yeah. so um, all boats sink. All boats sink. Yeah. yeah. And again, you know, with the num- the very frightening proposals that we're now hearing about uh, national uh, uh, nutrition programs. Um, this is going to be catastrophic if we can't be headed off. Well, I want to come back to the public policy point in a moment. Ming, I want to ask you kind of two things. One is, uh, do your customers uh, come in saying, I want to eat here because uh, I know that I'm going to probably get a healthier meal? Uh, or I've just heard that Blue Ginger is a fabulous restaurant experience, or is it both? And to what degree do you, you obviously feel a responsibility to make sure that you feed people in ways that are healthy. That seems to be a growing trend, not for all chefs, but we've talked to a number who are who have had, uh, I talked to, I think, Bill Telepan in New York, who had a child who had some health issues, and he realized at some point that he was cooking for his customers in a way completely different than he was cooking for his own family, and he decided to change that. He said, I, sh- I should cook for my customers the same way, make sure they're getting healthy food. What's happening in the food industry to um, accelerate that, if, if anything? Right. Um, just a quick sidebar to what Doc was talking about. The, for example, when I was saying food is medicine, <clears throat> if you had children with rickets and if they started eating watercress, which is incredibly high in calcium, right, incredibly high in vitamin D, and if that was instead of the sugar juice, most of these, these kids, you can cure them through food. And um, it, it's so my point is everything's available. All these foods are available. It's just the access to get it to to the people that need to. And then, of course, is the education on how you actually eat it and cook it and prepare. And, and I a, challenge you to find a yeah. lot of watercress in, in a you know a supermarket in downtown Boston. You know what? It's coming. It's coming. I was, well, I was just at 1,500 acres of watercress fields yesterday in Tampa. Uh-huh. And, and, uh, and I was amazed by how much there is. So anyway, so we're going to work on that for you, Doc. I promise. Um, Dr. Frank, you were saying a moment ago you were, you were concerned about some of these um, 
legislative or public policy changes that may be coming down the road um, in the new administration, Trump White House, Republican Congress. Uh, and I've heard you say on a number of occasions that you see public policy written on the bodies of babies. Um, t tell us what you mean by that. I mean that, uh, well, that you, I have seen children, for example, back in the day when Women Infant Children Program was inadequately funded, I actually saw a child who was growing, 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 and came in like that, had to be hospitalized, was so malnourished. And we said, you know, what happened? And, you know, we sort of were re ready to run every, you know, medical test in the book. It turned out that once they stopped having wick, they stopped having milk. And that the was, it. That that was, was it. it. Yeah. Wow. And, you know, and for, you know, the 60 bucks a month that's now was much less than for WIC, you have thousands of dollars of hospitalization. So um, it's and you, again, some of it's very visible like that in physical growth. Some of it is more invisible, the effects on the brain and the immune system. Those aren't things that you that we call in medicine eyeball diagnoses. Um, but they certainly happen. We could also, uh, you know, that um, during the recession, there was something called the uh, Reinvestment Recovery Act, ARA, and food stamp benefits went up for everybody. Right. It cut down on the hospitalization of poor adults in Massachusetts. And what we have found when we, when we monitor the youngest children in Children's Health Watch, the kids who are under the age of four, very rapidly growing, very vulnerable to nutrition, uh, we found that the food insecurity in those families doub more, doubled and more after in the same families that were receiving food stamps. It was not like, oh, those are the duds who receive food stamps. Same food stamp families, after the, the boost was cut back, the food insecurity rate shot up. And what is ludicrous is the billions of dollars of food that is wasted a month in this country. So here we have hungry children, adults, all over our country, and we waste billions of dollars of food. Um, the grocery stores, when that, when that tomato's not perfect and it's bruised, they, 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 so, they try to they throw it away, well, right? Now, thank God there's food, organization. But, but you're a food guy. Like, how do, you, how do you fix that in the industry? So I understand what nonprofits yep. can do, but what can industry do to change I mean, that? for the listeners... That's a hot-button issue for a lot of people. Oh, my God. For, for the listeners at home, just don't ever waste food, right? Don't overbuy. The old adage, unfortunately, of finish your plate. Well, don't make your plate so big anymore, right? So eat, cook what you can eat, and it's amazing how much is thrown away. So consciously think about it and i love this book um that called savor that Thich Nhat han wrote uh, with lillian chung here and it's about when you're eating an apple don't be texting don't be driving don't be watching tv eat the apple think about the apple savor it meaning where did it come from how did it grow how did it get here how the many trees, hands touched it right think yeah, of how many came, how many laborers it touched went on that. a you know it got washed it got put on a train and whatever and then finally that one farmer that got you that apple and if you think about it when you start appreciating the actual apple two you're going to eat much more slowly which is one of the biggest issues with obesity is people just eat too quickly because you're full 20 minutes before your mind knows you're full so if you eat slowly you're actually full you stop eating um but the point is that the, stop food waste and so what do restaurants what can we do same thing i mean we try to i can't say nothing ever gets wasted but at the end of the day it ends up at least as a staff meal we don't throw anything away now as we start to wrap up here um ming as somebody who's involved in so many important causes in the community um 
two things I'm curious about. One is, um, how do you choose? How do you pick and choose? Um, I'm sure some of it has to do with what's important to you, but also what you think is most effective. So I'd love to hear that. And two is a conversation we're having inside Share Our Strength all the time, and I think a lot of organizations are. Uh, we're a nonpartisan organization, and to the extent that we do anything at all with government, it's bipartisan. But in this day and age, at this time, do all of us need to get more politically active? I mean, I know that's a personal choice for a lot of people, yep. but I'm just I'm just curious how you think about it as uh, somebody that a lot of people in the community look to for leadership. No, both are great questions. So, um, as you know, I've done a lot of different charities my entire career. Seven years ago, when I was introduced to Family Reach, that just that really grabbed me because uh, I had, as we call it, the aha moment. I never really thought about if my child got cancer, which is the worst news any parent could ever get. Um, I think your your son has cancer, your daughter has cancer. Uh, the last thing in my mind is I could end up homeless. I could end up without transportation. And you need your car because your son is immune compromised. He can't ride a bus and, and just downwards pile and... What sealed my deal is I met a single mom because they're not not all parents or two parents household, households are two parents, single mom young baby had cancer she had enough money remission it came back and doc as you know if cancer comes back for a child is more that's four times worse she was broke they lived two years in a homeless shelter while <clears throat> this poor kid was getting chemo and radiation for two years and the kicker was the doctor told the mom for for your son to survive he needs a bone marrow transplant. However, unfortunately, because of your sanitary conditions at the homeless shelter, we cannot administer. It won't stick. Sorry. You can't tell a mom sorry. Yeah, you can't tell a mom sorry your son's going to die when there's a cure. That's when family members stepped in and said, that's baloney. Here's your apartment back for a year. We will take care of you and your housing. You take care of your son. And this kid, and I'll, I can say his name, Michaelo, because he's my buddy. He's nine years old now. Uh-huh. He just celebrated his fifth year remission. From Fam- the family Reach saved his life. Family yeah, Reach saved amazing. his life. And, and to answer your question, I know I directly help save this kid's life and when he hugs me that's all the thanks i need and and the proudest thing besides my own children that i've done is for the last six years i've raised over five million dollars through my cooking live events that i do all across the country so so for the most part 80 90 percent of my charity work is family reach and then of course i do the local stuff like love and spoon phones i think they do a great job um politically you're so right billy it's it's so hard as a restaurateur because half of my customers are Democrat and half of them are Republican. I get out some tea parties and depends yeah. who you want. But so you can't be on a stumping stool and that, you know, and and piss off half of your customers. Um, but we are in extraordinary times right now. This is not a time any of us ever thought would ever come. And the Muslim ban and then it just it just keeps going on and on and on. And and just like Jose Andres, my great friend in D.C., who's being sued by Trump because he pulled out of the restaurant because he said Mexicans were rapists and criminals. Well, that, that doesn't work very well when 80 percent of your staff is Mexican. And um, so at a certain point, enough enough's enough. And, um, you know, a lot of restaurants. I honestly I did not do it. I, I wasn't in town. And but we allowed people that wanted to protest uh, two days ago and yeah. not come to work. Um that's a start, and well, then there's going to be more. Closed his restaurants in Washington. Absolutely, and 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 hats now. hats off to Tom Calicchio, who's the head judge of Top Chef. He has been very vocal about what's going on, and and it's it is incredibly scary for not only our our lives, and and of course think about the needier than us. It's already scary for all of us, but right. the ones that don't have any means, it, it truly is life and death. Yeah, life or death. Dr. Frank, I know you think we need to be more 
political. <laughs> I think I know that, having worked with you for a long time. Well, I think I think that policymakers need to be helped to connect the dots between their decisions and the real lives of real families and real children. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Um, and, uh, you know, again, as it, you, know, you probably have a lot of immigrant workers. In the, in the, Tons, and, of course. And they're probably terrified. They and are. so, you know, if their kid is sick, will they bring the child in? Um, you know, it, it, it goes, and on one of my nightmares is what happens if uh, the current administration starts splitting up families and we have all these parentless citizen children. There are 4 million citizen children whose parents are undocumented. And it's a pediatric disaster that we can't even begin to wrap our heads around. Who's going to take care of the children? Who can sign if they have an appendicitis? I mean, it's just right, right. unbelievable. My, my only, my only hope is, is, is us, is people, the people like us that have the means, that have the wherewithal to care enough to help those more needy. Great, thank you both so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for joining us on Add Passion and Stir. The Share Strength community believes that everyone can share in the global fight against hunger and poverty, and that in these shared strengths lie sustainable solutions. Today, Share Our Strength focuses these strengths on making no kid hungry a reality in America. Add Passion and Stir is distributed by District Productive. Our senior producer is Carrie Thompson. Our executive producer is Peter Ogburn. Add Passion and Stir is the creation of Billy Shore, Debbie Shore, and Paul Woody Woodhull. I'm Billy Shore. You're listening to Add Passion and Stir from Share Our Strength.